welcome to So You Think You Can Belto. I'm Jessica Harper, a soprano and hot beverage enthusiast based in Antwerp. And I'm Jeremy Bolton, a coffee-obsessed lyric baritone based in Munich. (laughs) Jeremy and I have created this podcast to empower emerging artists across Australia and the world with access to the direct knowledge and relayed experiences of operatic artists and practitioners. We aim to help inform emerging artists with this podcast resource and to hold a mirror to the opera system so that artists can make their own individually informed decisions about auditions, competitions, engagements and more. You'll hear everything from in-depth artist interviews to long-form panel discussions on topics concerning emerging artists. Hello and welcome to this episode with Martin Cook. Martin was a permanent member of the chorus of the Bavarian State Opera He's from Manly originally, in Australia, and I've had a great pleasure getting to know Martin while I've been here in Munich. So, yeah, thanks for agreeing to have a chat to everyone. Nice to be here, Jeremy. So, uh, I thought a good way to start this is just to give us an overview of where singing has taken you, where it began, and when you started. Right. Well, I started singing as a little boy, really in our parish choir at eight years of age. Mm. Uh, Music, I come from a very theatrical, musical family. My mother was a um, a noted and very popular radio singer in light music in the 1940s, even though she had a terrific voice. She could have been an opera singer. Mm. Um, We have, uh, going back further, my grandmother's sister, the great auntie Lily Malloy, uh, Auntie Lily was a noted actress and comedian, mm. and um, so my music comes also right from my early childhood. And my first cousin, my favourite cousin, Robert Cook, Bob Cook. Bob was the bass drummer in Waverley College Band. <laughs> so I have a great love to this day for um, military bands mm. and marching, and loved all that sort of thing. And I was. A trumpeter myself mm. and trumpet sergeant uh, in our cadet band at St Aloysius College in Milsons Point. Right. And um, so I sang in a boys' choir from eight till I was 12, mm-hmm. I think, 11 or 12. And did you stop because the boys broke? No, yeah, I'd stopped. Uh, I stopped. I, I, we changed schools and um, I was, wasn't so happy. There was a bit of bullying going on in the choir. Mm. They locked us into the um, into this shed. These senior boys, it was called the Pious Object Stall in our <laughs> parish, and spat at us and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and that sort of uh, irritated me. So I, I I left the choir and didn't. Still was very interested in music and I learned piano. And uh, f- from the age of eight till I think nearly fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, and then. Um, the St Aloysius College had a great tradition, which was revived in 1968 by the new rector, Father Tom O'Donovan, and he did Cox and Box, and then he did 69 in HMS Pinafore, then Pirates, and uh, I didn't really join the chorus, and I certainly didn't want to sing in the girls' chorus. <laughs> And then they did Pirates in 1970. Then in 1971, they did the Mikado. Mm. And so Pat Donnelly, a very close school friend to this day, we decided we'd all, you know, sign up for it. And 
Pat got the role of Pish Tush. I was in the chorus and was given the one line of go to, as he was called. Why, who are you who asked this question? And um, I was the understudy for Coco. And we had a splendid cast. Poobah was by Nick Lush, who went on to Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm. And the whole Paul Dyer actually was yum yum. Wow. And uh, yes, so I did the Mikado. And unfortunately, the, the boy who was the Mikado was a, a sixth former, Ono Clompy. And Ono had a pleasant voice, but it just didn't project. Mm. Uh, sadly, Ono died in a building accident mm. when he just left school in 19, the end of 71. Very, very tragic. And Ono couldn't be heard. And uh, next thing I was, they heard I could sing, you know, 60. I never had a lesson or anything. And so I learned the role of the Mikado. And then I, I was given the role. And... Uh, with Miss Sparks, Rosalie Sparks was the music teacher at Aloysius. And it was a wonderful experience. It was only 18 months after my father had been, or 12 months after that my father had been tragically run over and killed. And um, it was just, my mother said she stopped being Mrs. Cook and became the Mikado's mother. And so um, that was my first role. Mm. And it went really well. And... My mother could hear me doing and learning lines and things and had noticed that I was singing a few notes here and there. And she came to the first stage orchestral mm. and was speechless and went home and said to my grandmother, the bastard can sing. <laughs> and Nana said straight away, I'll pay for his first term of lessons. Mm. So as you can see, I was regarded as a difficult child. <laughs> so I did the Mikado and that changed my life. It changed the life of Pat Donnelly, we all pursued careers. Mm. Pat wow. had a big career in um, in England, a lovely career in England and France and also in Europe. Tim Heyman and my other very close friend from our year, Tim uh, loved GNS. Uh, Tim Heyman also played a major role in my musical development as a young boy. He, he was right into opera and we used to listen to all these recordings especially Ettore Bastianini, mm. our great baritone. <laughs> yep. And um, and Tim had a full life uh, doing musicals and GNS, and then Tim was a great organiser and had a, had a flair, very, very intelligent person, Tim. Mm. And uh, he was very good at stage direction, mm. and especially in New South Wales. So... That's that's my main formation. So you could say my mother in the church choir used to, if I was a very good little boy at three, she'd take me up to the choir loft. And that's where I remember I used to get goosebumps from the singing in the organ. Mm. So, um, and then my cousin Bob with military bands, the cadet bands, which I just adored. I used to march up and down the street with a, a branch from a tree, <laughs> like a drum major stuff. And then Aloysius, of course. So I'm very grateful to my college, and that's 52 years ago, mm. that, that those decisive four performances in July 1971. Mm. And, uh, yes, I pursued a career, but I first off, I sort of finished school early. It was uh, 
tumultuous times then after my father's death and what have mm-hmm. you. So I worked in customs and shipping. I finished school at the end of year 11, fifth form. So what called. age would that have been? That's I was 16. 16 okay. So I started working at 17. Mm. And uh, I started having singing lessons when I was 18 with Evelyn Hall de Ithal, I-Z-A-L. Mm. Evelyn Hall was an outstanding Australian contralto Mm. married to a distinguished Spanish baritone, Franco Ithal de Gallardo. Mm. E. Gallardo with that yep. Y, Y. And uh, Franco. And he, Franco and Evelyn actually taught my mother singing in, mm. the, right. in the mid-40s. And Evelyn had a close uh, relationship with the college because... Um, Anthony Wallington, who was the last person to sing the Mikado in 1958, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1958. Uh, and uh, Anthony was a pupil. He was the star studio, pupil of her studio. He was on Showcase, the beautiful, wonderful talent quest that was on television in the 60s, compared by Gordon Boyd. Mm. And... Um, we sort of knew the Wallingtons because they all went to Aloysius and Anthony sadly passed away uh, 20 years ago this year. It will be on Boxing Day. He was a wonderful singer. He became a doctor, general practitioner in Cowra and lived in Canoundra and sadly passed away uh, of cancer 20 years ago. And uh, so mum phoned up Evelyn and I began singing lessons at 18. Mm. First songs I learned were The Vagabond, <laughs> Non Più Andrei, mm. and uh, the first from Oratorio, Evelyn used to let me sing, Behold, I Tell You a Mystery, from mm. the, from, and the opening bars of The Trumpet Shall Sound, mm. and uh, my first lead, Deutsche lead, Deutsches lead, was um, Die Beiden Grenadiere from mm. Schumann. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I was working. I worked from 1972 until 1977. And during that time, uh, I've always had a great attraction for the priesthood, you know, a a calling to be a priest. And I was in the seminary from 1977 until June 1980. And during that time... uh, my voice really developed because mm. I still had lessons, and actually, uh, I went. I did the Estedford, and nearly I came second in the Sydney Debris Bass and Baritone competition, and um, and then in 1979, I had a wonderful rector, Father Jim Esler, who passed away just last year before his hundredth birthday, and Jim Esler uh, was a very talented pianist he was a real musician he was a brilliant lawyer before he became a priest mm. and uh, he was in the um he studied law at sydney university he was in the same year as gough whitlam mm. and lance barnard who was deputy prime minister and jim won the medal the university medal for law right. in that year mm-hmm. and uh he was a very he also then studied in italy and in canon law, but he really encouraged me with my singing, often played for me. And uh, in 1979, he said, Martin, I've uh, really, I feel your voice has really developed. 
and um, I think you should go back and start having his singing lessons. And they were the last years of Evelyn's life, 1970 and 1980. Mm. And so I really was getting into my singing. And uh, and he said to me one day, he said, Martin, you know, you need, uh, you're a performer by nature. Mm. And I think you should um, go and uh, do the Estedfords, you know, and see how you go. So I went into the city of Sydney, Estedford, mm. and uh, I would, you know, sent an application in for the Sun Aria, the ABC radio vocal. That wasn't the, the, the big ABC thing. That was a, an ABC section mm. in the Estedford. And, the, and these are all big competitions for people outside Australia that are really significant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I did the... Uh, I won all these prizes and uh, mm. won the GNS section. And so I went and sang in the heats of the sun aria and I sang the cattle dog aria the cattle dog aria from Don Giovanni <laughs> and uh, did you call it that in your uh, <laughs> I've never heard of that one yeah, the, the cattle dog aria and <laughs> um, and that was great and I didn't think any more about it because you mm. don't get a result mm. anyway the next morning I'm in in our chapel for morning prayers at seven o'clock I think it was seven o'clock, yeah. And uh, a confrere, uh, one of the brothers, comes up and said, Oh, Martin, you've got an urgent phone call. Uh, your singing teacher. And I thought, Oh, good Lord, what's happened? You know, I thought mm. something. And so I rushed and, Hello, hello, Eve. Said, oh, hello, darling, she says. Come in at nine o'clock for a lesson. We'll go through everything. And I said, Oh, what for? I said, I've got lectures this morning. He says, You're in the semi finals for the Sun Aria tonight. <laughs> and so that just blew me away. And uh, so I went in, and the only other aria I had was Il Lacerato Spirito mm. from Simone Bocanegra. And I love this aria. Pat Donnelly, my good friend, Pat always used to, and he had these wonderful F sharps down on the bottom. And so I, it sounded quite nice, but of mm. course I was a baritone, really. And, uh, you know, my bottom G, sort of, especially as the evening went on, was inclined to disappear and sound like, I don't know if I can say this on the microphone, mm. more like a mosquito breaking wind. And um, so I, um, I sang that, but of course I didn't really have an F sharp. But anyway, mm. I won mm. uh, the ABC section of the Estedford. And I think I won the oratorio, and uh, yeah, so mm. it was wonderful. And then that just made me realise what I was meant to do mm. and mm. pursue a singing career. And Father Ezra said, "I'll have a good holiday and uh, don't make any rush decisions." You know, they were very happy with me staying there, and I really actually enjoyed the seminary, mm. apart from no chicks and things. But um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that was 1980, and then I then Evelyn passed away on the 23rd mm. of April 1980, and I was with her the night before she passed away. And Glenn Winslade, the outstanding, my mm. favourite Australian tenor to this day, mm. uh, Glenn uh, had won the big Robert Stoltz Prize for Vienna. Right. I think he may have been in the studio there. I'm not sure of that. But Glenn was a magnificent singer. And uh, I then, uh, she said to me, darling, Glenn's won that, next year's your year. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And she said, but what you don't, don't go to the con, they ruin the voices, is what she actually said to me. And unfortunately, she passed away. She must have had a stroke. And, uh, and that was sort of the catalyst. And then I realised that I was meant to be in the performing arts as a fine employment, mm. hopefully, uh, as a singer. Of course, in those days, the sun aria was like everything in the world for, for young singers. And mm. the dream of us all was to join the Australian Opera, which was, in those days, a fantastic ensemble. They had a lot of people on permanent contract and uh, beautiful productions. And we had real role model singers, uh, you know, Bob Orman and John Shaw, Sutherland, of course, Heather Begg, uh, all these great singers, Rosina Reesbeck, uh, Anson Austin, really wonderful mm. tenors, mm. Ronald Dowd, Don Smith was still there. I mean, it was some wonderful singing that used to go there. Don Shanks. Um, you know, mm. uh, just the wonderful mezzo that sang a lot with Sutherland up from Brisbane. Mm. Greta Elkins. Mm -hmm. Lovely people. Heather Begg was a lovely lady. And Rosina Raisbeck. We came into contact years later. I said, Rosina, I just found you around your report you wrote uh, when I was in the Estedford in 1979. <laughs> so it was lovely. And, uh, of course... That brings us up to the con. Mm. And I did the Diploma of Operatic Art and Music Theatre and I went there solely because um, Valerie Collins Varga had taken over the, the vocal department and Maya Fredman, this famous, supposedly famous man from Glyndebourne, was going to run the opera school, taking over from Ronald Jackson. And... Uh, yeah, I went to the opera school, and that was very much a mixed bag. Um, Miss Collins was a fine teacher and um, pretty pretty strict. Um, helped me develop a professional attitude. Uh, the inspiring people were Richard Gill, mm. and of course Ruth Jones, our German teacher, was wonderful. Mm. Uh, working with Maya Fredman was just a complete and utter disappointment, I'm sad to say. He was a very competent musician, could play very well, was a good conductor, but just his attitude, his personality, he was obviously a very difficult person and um, I have to say really quite destructive when I think back. Um, we never did full operas, we did one-actors and things. Ronald Jackson in his time... Uh, was doing full operas, Carmen and Boheme and mm. oh, lots of things, Don Giovanni, and uh, but still I learned a lot at the con. I have to say that, and Richard Gill was the most inspiring figure, mm. and I graduated with a diploma of operatic art and music theatre. Even got a distinction for my vocal exam, mm -hmm. and graduated with merit, and then joined the. Um, uh, I was freelancing a lot, doing the music clubs, and I did quite a lot at the Opera House. Made my debut in, um, actually I made my debut in 1975 as Pishtush. Mm -hmm. I had three performances with the Gilbert and Sullivan Society. Mm. Um, I have to say that I learned all my stagecraft, and Pat Donnelly would say the same, and Tim, from Brian Phillips, mm -hmm. who was the main stage director in our time 
for the Gilbert and Sullivan Society, and we had a wonderful musical director. His name's Bransby Byrne, who's still very involved in music. And um, that was they were wonderful experiences. So I, I made my debut at the Opera House at 20 mm. in the Opera Theatre. And then I made my debut in the Concert Hall, actually, when I was in the seminary. Uh, all the religious of Sydney who were interested in music, we put a concert on for the whole archdiocese mm. and uh, sang the Mercado's song and Without a Song and the Pearl Fisher's duet and then with the mm. chorus. and It was wonderful. That was a great occasion. Cardinal Freeman was there, the archbishop, then archbishop of Sydney. And uh, so then I made my debut as a professional singer in my first year at the con. I was invited to be soloist for the Messiah Mm. with the combined church choirs. That's when there was something like, you know, five or six hundred, I think, in the choir. Wow. Huge. Mm. And Dr. Clive Pascoe, great, great conductor and very inspiring figure. And they invited me again in 82. And then in 83, um, having done the organisers who'd done this Daybreak concert in 1980, mm. uh, Victor Carell and Beth Dean, she was a wonderful ballet dancer and choreographer and Beth and Victor had been um, an outstanding baritone caught double pneumonia mm. and that sort of killed his career mm. but they were very very involved in um, Australian music and the Pacific Islands uh, indigenous music mm. they were years before their time mm. with all mm. things of reconciliation and recognition and uh, and working with uh, all the music of the Pacific Islands and the Aborigines, they, I think mm. they, they staged the the beautiful ballet by John Antill, who composed Corroboree, and Beth was the dancer. That's going back right. in I think in the fifties. Okay. So Victor asked me to be soloist and compere for Christmas at the Opera House. I think with seventeen performances, wow. and I really loved that. And I was invited again in 80, 80, Christmas 83, Christmas 84. And also a very important part of my musical life then was running a choir, directing a choir at St. Patrick's Church Hill, which is mm. one of the oldest churches in, in Australia and a shrine of the Maris Fathers. Uh, people go to Mass there every day. It's a, a very, very beautiful church. And I was choir master there from... 1981 to 85 and again for a year in 88 when I was back in Australia for one year so that was I had a very full life um, doing recitals did several for the ABC and um, and uh, after the comparing and being soloist for Christmas at the Opera House they asked me to compare New Year's Eve at the Opera House in the concert hall with the Australian Chamber Orchestra I think it was the ACO mm. And uh, I was compere for New Year's Eve 83 and uh, New Year's Eve 84. Mm. And then um, I realised that, um, that it's going to be, I really wanted to learn Italian and German and I just had to get more experience and that wasn't going to be possible in Australia. Mm. And uh, I auditioned for Richard Bonning. I was given a stage, uh, you know, Mm. stage audition in the concert hall mm. and had a positive response but I just realised I had to this is uh, I wanted to come to Europe mm. Mm. and uh, 
a major figure in my life was the late Werner Baer. Werner Baer. He was a Berlin Jew and managed to get to Australia. That's another long story. You can mm -hmm. find him on the Australian Dictionary of Biography by Professor John Carmody, a lovely biography on Werner. And uh, he was very close friends with Ken Neat, Kenneth Neat, mm -hmm. the great Australian tenor who lived here in Munich. Mm. And I'd actually met Ken uh, for the Pan Pacific Opera. He was the adjudicator. Mm -hmm. I think that was in 83 or 84, 83, can't remember now. And uh, he was a tough, tough cookie. And, uh, and had a policing background. Yeah, yeah. and outstanding international career in, at Covent Garden, all through France, Italy, Germany and also things in America, performed in America. And uh, Ken was very critical, and that was quite sobering. And then when I decided to go to Europe, Werner Beer said, Martin, I want to, I've got a friend in Munich, Ken Neat, an outstanding tenor, an Australian from Cessnock, and uh, he can give you some good fatherly advice. I said, oh, I, I sang for Mr Neat when uh, I did those... Pan Pacific, you know, the Metropolitan mm. Opera auditions, and it didn't go well. He said, oh, forget that. You write to him, and uh, I'll write to him as well. And I got this lovely letter back from Ken. He said, oh, yeah, we all develop, and, you know, just totally charming. Mm. And then through the, uh, the German Catholic Church in mm -hmm. um, uh, Sydney, I got an invit uh, uh, um, information and uh, address to write here to the church in Munich, the Archdiocese, mm. and I had this lovely letter back from from the auxiliary bishop, Schwarzenberg, and giving me the names where I could go and, and live in a studenten home. Mm. I said I wanted to, I was still sort of doing postgraduate study and wanted to learn German and hopefully then in it, go to Italy. And um, and I managed to get a place at the Powell's colleague and right near the Hauptbahnhof for 50 marks a month, which mm. was a joke. The dollar was higher then. So I came to, to Neat and met Ken Neat, and that was just the most wonderful experience. Mm. And very tough, very critical, but I realised I was working with a master. Mm. Mm. Very critical. And I found out my close friend, Justine Marsden, who was studying up in Berlin with Wolfram Christ from the Berlin Philharmonic and Marina, also two very important people in my life and my musical development, mm -hmm. apart from being close friends. Marina uh, was studying in Vienna with Gerhard Schulz, who was the second violinist in the Albenberg Quartet. quartet and uh, Justine was also doing... Aushilfe, as we say in German, um, freelancing, you know, when they needed extra players in the Berlin Philharmonic from recordings and things, even under Karian, and um, for sp some special things. And uh, and she said to me, she said, well, Martin, you know, you've got a really good voice and can sing. I'd, I'd, I'd take, that, uh, take that on board. And because uh, his criticisms were fair, objective, hard, mm. but not personally offensive or anything like that, very constructive. So the next lesson I went, and there sitting on the table 
were two 120-minute cassettes. And Ken had spent the whole evening with great historic baritones of the repertoire that I was up to singing, mm. that I would be ready to go and do. And then I just realised I was dealing with someone who not only was an excellent teacher but cared, mm. you know. Because mm. Ken, neat, he came from an educational background. His brother and sisters all became teachers. Mm. Ken actually won a teacher's scholarship. He was captain of Cessnock High in 1932 and um, uh, was a top sportsman as well, won his blues. And, and uh, he was a thinker. Ken was a real thinker and he joined the police force. And they said that, that they'd pay for his singing lessons if he sang in the police choir. <laughs> and he was known as the singing policeman in the late 1930s. Mm. And uh, oh, so working with Ken was great because you, he, he really looked at you and what, what does this lad need? You know, mm. what suits this boy here, this lad here? What are the roles that he can do? Mm. And it was just fantastic. And then learning German. And having a second language, it was the most exciting time, those first six months. And um, so I went over to the Belvedere competition and got into the semi-finals. Mm. That's where I met Eric Zeiter, yeah, who's, yeah. who's going to be your artistic advisor at Staatstheater am Gärtnerplatz. Mm. And um, that's where I did my first audition for Hollander, who then later became the... Intendant of the Wiener Staatsoper, and uh, they sent me out to all sorts of houses, and and then in the meantime, there I met this gorgeous girl here, who's now my wife, and Sabina. She just come back from Australia and had just by chance met a friend of mine, to cut that into a very short story, mm. and uh, so that was great up until the beginning of the first winter then life took a very difficult turn. Mm. The Australian dollar collapsed, so I was in no way of uh, getting a, um, uh, a flat. And, and that was from Keating floating the dollar? Yeah. 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 Right. These were the, when I came to Germany, I was getting two marks 20 for a dollar. Mm -hmm. By uh, the end of the year, I was getting a mark, uh, oh, you know, nearly a mark 20, mm. and then 12 months later, it was, it was one to one. And all my money was still in Australia. It was like these things yeah. you had to draw from Australia because I'd won a couple of scholarships. So anyway, they were the hard yards. I had regrown tonsil roots. I then developed allergies, which I'd never had in Australia. And um, then I was on really Murphy's Law. It was just a very tough time. But I survived it all. Uh, then uh, I won a, a scholarship to Perugia to study Italian. Mm. That was in 1987 for three months. Uh, nearly got into the studios of Vienna and Munich. I was called back twice for those houses. And uh, yeah, and then I was in Italy for three months, then on the Salzburg Festival. And that's where I met Pam Hall, Pam Milton mm. Hall. Yeah. I'd actually met Pam earlier in Vienna in 1986, I think. Mm. And uh, we had big success with this opera, Diana by Reinhard Kaiser. Mm. We're given fabulous press. And in the Salzburger Nachrichten, 
we had the main review with a big photo and a big story. And that kicked me off into another round of auditions because I sent, we, someone had just, with an old cassette player, can you believe it, <laughs> had made a good recording. And with the good press and the good recording, uh, thanks to Ken Collins, the great English tenor who gave his golden years to Australia, uh, he put me in touch with um, an agency, his agent in, in London, so I did a couple of auditions. I think I told you about that. Mm, mm, mm. And unfortunately picked up a cold. Mm. Do you have a cold? And, uh, but that was funny. The, the, the story of the little Scotsman selling the newspapers. And I said, excuse me, can you tell me where the Theatre Royal is? He said, yeah, laddie. I said, oh, thank you very much. And I started walking the wrong way. And he said, hey, laddie, you don't go down there. You go down there. And uh, so that I love being in Scotland, actually. it was I felt like, oh, isn't this great? I'm sort of like in my homeland. So uh, to cut all that long story short, I flew back to Australia um, at the end of 1987. And I thought, well, that's it with Europe. And uh, and then I realised uh, that Australia hadn't changed at all and that I really wanted to sing. And I had a, a, did a lot. Gondoliers, the Opera House, compared a couple of concerts for the ABC Youth Series. And uh, the Ziegler family asked me to do that. And uh, ran up my choir again at St Pat's Church Hill. Mm. And then I realised, and of course I had a daughter by this stage, beautiful little baby, and uh, in Germany waiting for Daddy to come back. So I returned to Europe in 1987, at the end of 19, sorry, at the end of 19, at beginning of 1989, sorry. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's, then I was, made it into the final concert as a soloist for the Münchner Singschule, a summer master course at the State Opera, uh, and sang on stage with the Staatsorchester, the beautiful fourth-act aria of Figaro, Aperite un po' quegli occhi. And, um, and then I freelanced, doing a lot of uh, oratorio in particular, mm. and a couple of roles, Leporello, I did in Biberach, uh, The Rape of Lucretia in Hamburg for the Junges Forum, the Young Forum Theatre. And then uh, Carmine Burano was a great piece for me. Did that in the Hercules Saal. And then, oh, a lot of oratorios, Messiah, with really good choirs and orchestras. And the lovely thing when you're living in Munich even when I do a Sunday Mass, uh, we just did last week, the or the week before, the Coronation Mass of, of uh, Mozart. Mm. Uh, everybody in the in Parsing in the church, everyone in the orchestra, were all from, from the opera, basically, all from Rundfunk, from mm. Munich Radio, the Symphony Orchestra. And um, that's what's wonderful, the musical life, the, what the possibilities here. So, um, yeah, I, I was did all that, and... Um, did a recording for BMG Classics. I was Bello in La Fanchula del West with Dennis O'Neill and Eva Marton, conducted by Leonard Slatkin. Mm. Oh, I've just got to drag things out of the memory. Mm. Uh, <laughs> a wonderful um, TV opera we did it when I was 35, Il Luto dell'Universo, mm. uh, The Morning of the Universe by Kaiser Leopold I of Austria. 
helped by Caldara, I think, a beautiful opera which you mm. saw on yeah, the DVD. Yeah, and and, um, and by this time, our second daughter was underway, Veronica, born in October 1990. And uh, that's when I realised, uh, yeah, I did my last stage audition and it went very well. It's Ulm, in the city of Ulm, which is between Stuttgart and Munich. And, uh, but that's when I realised that uh, I needed a permanent thing for the family. Mm. And uh, I was a soloist in St. Michael, the, the main huge church for orchestral masses. And you know, had a really wonderful, a full, very full concert life. And then I applied and had to wait two years till I was given an official audition. Because you only got into the Bavarian State Opera Chorus when someone either retired or unfortunately passed away. Mm. And uh, two baritones had retired in 1991. And also one is still there in 1992. And then I auditioned uh, in January 92. And uh, I was in between doing Leporello and The Rape of Lucretia as Tarquinius in Hamburg. And uh, the chorus master phoned me, said, we'd like to offer you the position. And I started on the 1st of June. 1992 mm. as a first bass mm. in the chorus of the Bavarian State Opera and uh, I retired on the 1st of November 2020 after 28 years and nine mm. months wow yeah incredible and during all that time you also did yeah I had a, a oh had a lot of Normally, I've been, a, I still am, a, a member of the soloist ensemble at South Salzburg Cathedral. Mm. That's an interesting story. That was in 1993. I was at home. It was something like 9.30 at night. And my colleague, Tom Silverberg, to whom I'll be always grateful, uh, Tom phoned me up and said, Marty, um, You've done the Schöpfung, the Haydn's creation. I said, yes, I sure have. Uh, he said, did you do do both roles? I said, I sure did. I said, how long ago? I said, oh, just over 12 months. And he said, listen, um, the the bass soloist, because it's called bass, but mm, mm. it's uh, really a bass baritone. It's a, you know, it's a very demanding two mm. roles, Adam and Raphael, Raphael. And he said he's, he's fallen sick and Salzburg Cathedral have a guest performance tomorrow night. In This was on the 17th of July. Mm. He said they have a guest performance uh, in, in Munich tomorrow. And if they, if, the ba if they can't get a base, they have to cancel the, the, the tour to Munich. Mm. And the, everything's been organised. You know, it would have been just a you know, really terrible situation. So I said, yeah, I'm sure I'll have to check with the, uh, then the chorus master, the, the choir, the, the Domkapellmeister, Janos, mm. Janos uh, Zifra, phoned me. I said, yes, I'll just have to get a permission. And um, to cut that long story short, uh, on the 18th of July, Sabina and the girls were flying to Australia because school holidays were starting early, opera holidays late. Mm. So for us to have any time together in Australia, uh, 
they went early. Mm, mm. And so I had to organise that a friend drove them to the airport. And basically I saved the performance for Salzburg Cathedral. Colleague did my duty, as they say, and my dienst uh, for Frau Una Schatten from Richard Strauss in the evening. And uh, uh, I saved the performance and Salzburg never forgot me. Mm. And... That is where I love singing the most in my entire career, is in Salzburg Cathedral within the liturgy and also within, for their concerts, mm. of which I've done many. And, uh, and in the repertoire of yours, there's yeah, a few that you've done. Yeah, well, the, the masses I love singing the most uh, are the big Haydn masses. And I was or seven times uh, engaged for uh, Easter Sunday, where we do... The, the Nelson Mass of Haydn and also his Mass in Time of War, the Palkin Messer or the Kettle Drum Mass as it's called with those beautiful solos in the Gloria mm. and also the Easter proprium, pro, pro, the Easter proper, uh, the propers of the Mass or the introit and the gradual and the offertory uh, of Joseph Messner who was a, the priest and Domkapellmeister in Salzburg from 1927 until 1967, and um, they have very imposing solos, and uh, these propers. And so I've also done a lot of, uh, of the uh, concerts. Elijah, mm. actually Elijah... Which we'll, hear. Hmm? Which we'll hear on the... Oh, lovely, yeah. Yep. Elijah was a wonderful concert. That was a combined thing. The Salzburger Liedertafel and Professor Zifra the Domkapellmeister was the director then of the Liedertafel, but a lot of the Dom people were, the cathedral choirs were in there as well. Mm-hmm. That was their second choir, and the Dresden Singer, Zing Academy. So it was a, and that was in the Jesuitenkirche, in the Jesuit church, which is ideal uh, for big romantic music, Mendelssohn and things, you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and that was a real highlight doing Elijah. And Mozart Requiem I've done many times in Salzburg in concert and also in mass. It's lovely. They often do it here in the mass mm. where it's split up the way it should be. Mm. Mm. You know? And, um, oh, yeah, Brahms Requiem I've done at, at the main concert hall here in the Gusteig. That was in 2004, 1993, also in the Saal, another major concert hall of Munich. Carmina Burana was very good for me. I've done that mm. uh, st- as the baritone soloist, staged and also in concert with the, the piano uh, percussion ensemble. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, all the passions, Bach, uh, Matthias, Johannes, uh, also from Telemann, and Weinach's Oratorium, the Christmas Oratorio of Bach. I mean, I've got a basically a repertoire in sacred music, oratorio, requiems and passions. I've got a probably about 85, I think, orchestral wow. works mm. that I've done as a soloist. And, and there's a lot of opportunity for that. On this yeah, it's, it's amazing what still goes on. There was even more once, you know. Wow. And... Um, yeah, so that's uh, that has been my life. Also, a lot of recitals, and of course, another major figure in my life uh, that entered my life in nineteen ninety-seven 
was Frau Rosemarie Amenda Half. Mm. And Rosemary, I always thought, was 10 years younger than my mother, but she's actually the same age. And she was a glorious concert pianist and accompanist, the widow of a noted music composer, Munich composer, Dietrich Amenda. Mm. And um, she needed a baritone for the Bavarian uh, Musicians Association, the Tonkünstlerverband, and she wanted to perform the song, needed a baritone for to perform her husband's songs. Mm. And that developed into an 18-year partnership and wonderful friendship. We made our CD in 2008, mm -hmm. and I'm still very connected to the family today, to her to her gan grandson, Rainer Amenda, mm. who's just retired as head of nursing education for the city hospitals of Munich. Mm. And um, Rosemary, that was the pianist of my life, really, Rosemary. Mm and did many recitals with her. Mm -hmm. The last performances we did were, the Amenda family were originally Baltic Germans mm -hmm. from Estonia. They actually, they migrated from Lübeck in North Germany and went to Estonia, to the city of Pernu on the south coast. And uh, of Estonia, because it's Estonia, then you've got Latvia, and then Lithuania. Mm. The Baltic states are so beautiful, it's just unbelievable. And uh, Rosemary, um, the family had a big villa there. They were a very successful merchant family. Mm. And the, the patriarch, Leopold Amenda, in the late 19th century, built this wonderful villa, mm. because he needed a house to rep for his daughter's wedding and she was marrying some Russian German noble I don't know if he was a prince and uh, and this beautiful Villa Amenda and we uh, she'd always wanted to go back there because Dietrich Amenda used to spend his father the Dietrich Amenda was a the Munich composer mm. and uh, he came from Bamberg because his father who was born in Estonia, studied medicine in Munich, in Germany, in Munich. Mm -hmm. And then he became uh, uh, a skin specialist. And uh, what's, the, what's the word for skin specialist? Ah, like dermatologist. A dermatologist, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a practice in Bamberg. But when he was studying, he met this lovely lady from Wiesbaden. Mm. And so he remained in Germany. But... Um, Dietrich Amenda, they used to go back every summer to Estonia. Summer is lovely in the Baltic states. Mm. Short, mm. but lovely. Yeah. And he went, they would go back there. So we were actually performing in the Villa Amenda where he would have run around as a little boy before wow. 1914. And, mm. then, and then this villa, you know, changed hands. That's another fantastic story. Mm. And so we did our second last recital there which was wonderful. It was like completing Rosemary's life. She was 92 at that stage. Wow. Yeah. And, and, one, and from the recordings, a really fine pianist right yeah, to the end. Yeah, just, oh, just amazing. And Rosemary, and then we did our final concert just before her 92nd birthday. She passed away at 94 uh, in the Zeidel Villa, beautiful villa in Schwabing, mm. where Dietrich Amenda had won the Schwabing, Schwabinger Artist's Prize back in the 1970s and uh, that was our final recital sadly not recorded and uh, and then Rosemary passed away on the 31st of January 
2015, just after I've turned 65, and uh, uh, 60, sorry. Mm. And yeah, so that rosemary has, was the greatest blessing in my life, and it was wonderful for rosemary. Probably put 10 years on, mm. I thought she was 10 years younger than my mother. And when <laughs> mum's sister to Joyce, I love my beautiful aunt Joyce, Joyce turned 90. Mm. And I said, Oh, Rosemary, uh, Auntie Joyce has just turned 90. She looked at me, she says, Was? So alt schon? Is she really that old? And Rosemary was two years older. You know? <laughs> I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Very good. So, and um, yeah, so I still sing a little bit now, and um, and it's just lovely being getting to meet you, Jeremy, mm, yeah, and likewise. have you with us here and uh, help you on your way. And now you're starting in Gärtnerplatz. So it's a great opportunity. Mm. And all through this time, I forgot it meant I did a beautiful tour to Japan in 1988. Yes, yes. That why, don't, was why, don't we, why don't we take a break? Yes. And then we'll talk about Japan and anything else. And then we'll perhaps talk about some questions for young artists. For young artists. Be delighted. Yeah. Great. And Great. in the meantime, we'll hear the recording from Salzburg. Do you want to just talk briefly about that? Yeah. This is Elijah from, I can't remember, from, from uh, the year 2000. I think it's in July or August, somewhere mm. around there. Zu Feuerflammen. Sende sie herab.
Frieden war's. Aus ihren Keiner entrinnen, führen sie den Arm an den Bach und schlachten sie das. In 1988, um, I was invited by Manly Music Club for the big Bicentennial Colonial Day concert, which took place in that beautiful old seminary, St. Patrick's College, Manly, in the Alamagna, in the Great Hall up there. And uh, Manly had a sister city relationship with Taito Ku Ward in Tokyo which is one of the oldest wards in Tokyo, and also a centre of culture, museums and theatres. The famous Bunker Kaikan Theatre is there. Uh, there's Zogakudo in Ueno, that's part of Taito. Uh, the Zogakudo Music, Music School. And anyway, uh, so I was there, and the whole Japanese entourage from Taito was there. The... The mayor of Taitoku, Mayor Uchiyama, who died at 99, lived a great long life. The, his whole department heads and everything, and they all came to the, my concert in their kimonos. And mum was mayor. My mother was mayor of Manly in that year. Mm. And they loved the concert. And they came straight up to me and said, we'd like to invite you to Japan to do a recital. Can you come up in September? Wow. And... All expenses paid, a fee, a flight, hotel, six days homestay, six days 
in a hotel. Mm. And that was one of the great experiences of my life and I have a great love for Japan. I've been there five times with the opera mm. uh, since then and I'm still very friendly with the Tomita family where I stayed for six six nights. And uh, have visitors from them. Yes, they've been them. here. Sune was here, Sune Kazu. And um, it was just a wonderful experience and the recital went well and they took me to sumo wrestling, the grand championships <laughs> and uh, the Kabuki theatre, we were there and down to Kamakura and then up to the Nikko shrines and it was just fabulous. So I was there in my own right as an artist, mm. but also as uh, like cultural and cultural ambassador like Celeste <laughs> Patterson and uh, for Manly. And uh, yeah, I've just had a great love for Japan ever since then. And so that was mm. a very important. And, and what important repertoire element. did you do there as a soloist and, as, and with yeah, the Irish? I did leader and some Italian. Uh, of the Ari Antique and then some operatic arias and then at the end with the NHK players from the from the beautiful NHK mm. orchestra and an excellent tenor and soprano and a conductor, I can't remember his name, but he was a, a master pupil of Wolfgang Savalisch. He's now a noted Japanese conductor. We um, did the cafe con coffee cantata yeah, uh, yeah. of Bach mm. with them and uh, that was great. Oh, it was a most fabulous experience. Mm, mm. And what operas were done then? Uh, I was there from Australia, but when we went there with yeah, the opera, right, yeah. we always took, well, in 1992, we took Brahms' Requiem, Figaro, and a new production of Frau ohne Schatten, mm. which was, um, that was presented in a brand new opera house, Nara, I think it was, down in the south uh, of, from Tokyo beautiful mm. theatre and then um, what else have we done there we did Fidelio there uh, the uh, Beethoven 9 Flying Dutchman Fliegende Hollander Frau Schatten. Uh, oh yeah the, then we took uh, I've got to think we've done so much we, mm, mm. we took Tannhäuser there that was the last tour in 2017 we also took, um, um, oh, uh, the Donizetti, Roberto Duvereux, and Lohengrin. They were some of the last performances of wonderful Johann Borter, the South African tenor. He, he sang the most beautiful Lohengrin I've ever heard. Mm. He died a couple of years ago. And I think he got cancer. Mm. It was a wonderful colour in our house. Johann Borter, great singer. Part, part of the ensemble there? No, he's a major, Famous. major international right, tenor. Okay. Did a lot with Simone Young, I think, Johann. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so those tours to Japan are great. The, the Japanese are a wonderful audience, and the, the cultural life there is just unbelievable. Mm. And they love anything to do with Western music. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, yeah. And so, uh, you obviously did quite a number of auditions and things yes. coming over, um, <laughs> and you spoke about Murphy's Law or Sod's Law, that, you know, you'd get ill or something would happen, and, and distress um, yeah. for a young artist. So, I guess I'll throw some questions your way, since yes. we're uh, talking young artists, 
you know, two young artists on this podcast as well. So, what are you saying to young artists? Firstly, what's the most important thing that you would like to say to them from your experience in, in a few minutes? Firstly. The first thing you have to ask yourself what you need in life. Hmm. Um, and sometimes you don't realise that when you sort of got the this, this singing bug and you're determined to succeed and, you know, you're not thinking of what do you, what is your temperament like? Mm. Um, do you need a family life, a partner? Do you need a home and stability? Uh, are you going to be up to travelling? And, and of course, it's, it's like a, 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 what's the word I'm looking you're, you're like a nomad. Mm. I mean, it all sounds very glamorous. Yeah. These big singers on Covent Garden this week and the Met next week and then down to Las Gales. It sounds very glamorous, but basically you're never home. Mm. And I only know a couple of singers where that's worked because they've got wives um, who go with them everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've got to really understand your psychological needs in life. What are your stress levels? Mm. Because when you pursue this career, a singing career, you're basically doing exams all the time. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you're always having to prove yourself. Fredman used to say to us in the opera school, the singer's only as, he is only as, as good as his last performance. Mm. It's pretty hard, isn't it? And, exactly. But there's a... a Fred, I have to say for Fredman, as you know, it was you know, a very difficult person... Fredman was a very good introduction mm. to the very tough and unpleasant side of a, of a career in opera, mm. coping with the business. Mm. Uh, I believe Simone just said in, um, in that very interesting film, Greg, her husband, described it as a, a, it's a life of broken promises and, and disappointments. Mm. And unfortunately, that is the case. And I think we all go through that of, of false promises, broken promises, and and uh, and heartbreak. You know, mm. you can be so well prepared, and then someone just doesn't like you. You know, mm. Mm. Uh, you need a you really you have to really know yourself. And the best th thing you can do is that you're prepared, that you have a voice that works through two two octaves, mm. without any major problems. And that you're well prepared, that you concentrate. The thing for for us, coming from a really a non-operatic speaking country, mm. I mean English. I love English, some English operas, but you've really got to get into your, into your Italian, French, and German, mm. particularly German, because in Germany you've got the the most likely opportune opportunity to um, gain a contract for two years and hopefully more. Mm. You know? mm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And could you talk, I mean, we've spoken about this a lot, but could you just talk about um, when you came here and the the adjustment of things like vowel placement yeah. um, and, and what the ears are here? Well, you know, we were talking the other day about, oh, don't modify your vowels, you know. <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to modify. I'm modifying. You know, I've heard so many Australians say that you just never hear this nonsense here. A round vowel uh, is a pure vowel. Mm. And 
in Australia, there was a tendency to, to really, this sort of, this horizontal white sort of raw understanding of that. Oh, that's an ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh. Of course, you want to, there are bright R's and there are dull R's. But here, you've got the continental style is, is far more, uh, it's far, as much rounder, you mm. know. Mm. R's and O's and all this sort of stuff and evals, yeah. And there's that there's that video of Pavarotti demonstrating it. He sings yeah. a note and he says it's good, you know. Yeah. But when he rounds the vowel, yeah, he says that's that's how you sing. You know? I think there's a pa- Pavarotti was a meister of the passaggio, mm. and um, I remember there was a close up of him. I'm not sure if it was in Nonti Scordati Me. It was a concert he did in here in Munich televised mm. and you could see that when he was getting to an f sharp which is the crucial tone it's mm. like an e natural for us mm-hmm. as baritones or a d natural for a bass you know mm. around that and you could see him he went almost like into a into a, a state of uh, zombiness <laughs> but what would that is that's that morbidezza that death-like mask that and that he sent when he goes through his passaggio and up into those glorious top notes, you could see that he, it was all internal and going right up through to the top of his skull here. Mm. People don't realise that. The best thing I ever learned on passaggio and, and covering was firstly uh, singing, having a one-hour lesson with the great tenor and callous partner Gianni Raimondi mm. at his home in Bologna in 1989. Wow. And that's when he spoke to me about raccolto, gathered up, zusammengefasst, you know. You're holding it and it just turned turned life around. And then Herbert Cesari was an excellent pedagogue. He was half Italian, half English. And he his books on pedagogy are just great. And he had these diagrams to show what really happens in covering mm. and passaggio the cricoid and the arytenoid, the cartilages that come together that actually tilt the larynx a little bit naturally mm. and that elongates so the vocal folds can vibrate faster mm. for these higher registers mm. and the resonance chambers and where that's got to go, it's not blowing it out your nose horizontally, it's up here into the skull and right those mm. two resonance chambers right at the top of the skull that you really feel your head vibrating. Mm. That's what we did the other day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that just yeah. turned life around. And then and the next thing I was singing Carmina Burana, you know, <laughs> that Estuans Interius Iravehamenti with the two twelve top G's. I wish you to say, isn't it's really terrible when after your first two top G's you notice, oh I'm not in great form today. <laughs> and you got another twelve to go. Whoa. It's like a death sentence, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you notice that adjustment yeah. as you came over here. Learning languages is is the essential. Once you learn to speak these languages, so much go and and absorbing the cultural immersion. You know, mm. absorbing the culture. Uh, it you just come on in leaps and bounds mm. when you live here. Mm. And it was so lovely, really learning to, to speak Italian. It's not as good as it. Oh, I was really quite fluent, uh, and then because uh, I never get down there now, mm. but it was just wonderful. 
and suddenly you're just singing completely differently because you're really understanding. It's not like translating and getting everything ready for the Stedford section, or the Aria section. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I mean, it goes without saying the, the, the most difficult thing really as a young yeah. singer is probably uh, Seco Resid. Yeah. And so when you learn Italian, it just comes really yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And um, <clears throat> immerse into those languages, it makes life much easier. Mm. And uh, I think what's essential is that when you're in this stage of auditions and all that, keep a lot of music going. So you're not just concentrating on audition arias and all this sort of stuff. And also that you have a life outside opera. Mm. And I think it's essential to to sing in your mother tongue, especially art song mm. uh, for us English speakers. And I think it's very important to... Um, to sing a lot of French music mm. and Italian, never never get into just a one track thing. I'm going to be a Wagnerian singer or something, yeah. but keep the French. You know, it was. I remember I did my first master class in 1980 with Gerard Souzet. I got accepted. Mm. I was thrilled. Wow. I just left the seminary, and I'd only I had the Biden Grenadier. Where did he do that? The uh, master class at the Con. Right. Okay. Uh, I had. I can't remember what I had, but I needed another song. Yeah. Du bist wie eine Blume from Schumann. Mm. And he said, you need, and then I learned, yeah, my main songs were Schumann at first. Und mm. ich grolle nicht. Yeah. Und wenn das Herz auch bricht. Did you take the top A? And, and no. Not I, was, yet. I didn't even know it existed then. Oh, but, right. um, so, and I think I sang it in a slightly lower key. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, right. But he took me on, and that was wonderful with Gerard Suzet. Mm. And Gerard Suzet said in, in, in an interview with Italian, French, and German music, he said, Italian, German music holds your head tenderly and kisses you on the forehead. Italian music embraces you and kisses you on the lips. Mm. And French music is very subtle and kisses you gently on the neck. <laughs> wow. The old Gerard Suzet. And uh, mm. he was a very fine baritone. <clears throat> but his specialty was really, he was of the lighter end of lyric. Yeah. And, and yeah. he sang a lot of lead. Uh, and so I remember in, I just felt, doing so much in the opera and I was doing a lot of classical and I just said, apart from singing Carmen, mm. this is back before 2000, I just said, I'm just not singing enough French. Yeah. And so I got into, I love Dupac's songs, mm. his mm. melody. And I love um, uh, Foray. Yeah. And but the Dupac and L'Invitation au Voyage, uh, that it's just there's a sensuousness in French, mm. and uh, it's some of them have a bit of a high tessitura as well. Yes, yeah. yeah, and that's so, that's the taste for baritones. I mean, yeah, they like all that sort of thing. Yeah, so. and so I just uh, oh, I didn't tell you I sang all over France, you know, mm. uh, with the beautiful Fusenfeldbruck. Bach choir and orchestra, right? So they toured, which is every year, and uh, about that, right? yeah, 
that was wonderful. And the French are a wonderful audience. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, there were just queues getting into our St. John Passion oh. and St. Matthew Passion. And uh, I, I normally, always in those days, always sang Jesus. Mm. And, um, yeah, we sang... Uh, the first tour was to Aix-en-Provence, Marseille, mm. and Beaucaire. And then the next year we did... Uh, uh, Brussels in the cathedral, and then over to Paris, and then to this beautiful cathedral in Auxerre mm. with the St. Matthew Passion. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love singing Bach. Bach is great because uh, he's not so vocal, so lyric and vocal as in uh, Handel in some things, mm. and lots of closed vowels and umlauts and and ascending and consonants on ascending coloratura and all this yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, you were saying to me um, previously that you know you can use some of the Bach for exercise. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Bach was a great training. I was a bit, I suppose, unruly, you know, just getting focused as a young singer. But Bach was great, and uh, that was the most wonderful training. And my last passions, I did. I was the. Um, uh, I sang the arias mm. and the bad boys, Pilot, <laughs> Pilot and Judas, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was wonderful to sing these arias. And Patrick Thomas, before his passing in 2018, 2017, Patrick Thomas was uh, a wonderful Australian conductor. When I was young, he was the conductor, apart from Charles McCarris in Australia. Right. And we met here in 1994... And uh, he was conducting the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra in a program of Bavarian and Australian music. And uh, that's where I met him. We had a professor here, Andrew McCready, passed away in 2006 and became good friends with Andrew. He was originally from from Adelaide. He was a professor of musicology in... in, um, He was originally from Sydney, Mm. in Adelaide, and Andrew... So yeah, I met I met Patrick, and then um, we came into contact in twenty twelve, twenty eleven, again, and uh, I gave him just as a little gift one of my recordings of a live Bach performance. Oh no, Mozart Requiem, right. I think it was, and um, yeah, he presented quite a few of my live r- recordings on CD mm. in two or three programs, uh, oh. you know, mm. and. Uh, that brings me to another point. Uh, uh, I've got a very, I've really tried to sing Australian composers, yes. and uh, the first composer is Philip Wiltshire, who's mm. a good friend and around my age. Philip writes the most beautiful art songs, mm. and then George Palmer, former Justice of the Supreme Court of New South Wales. Uh, I recorded his Ned Kelly cycle. Mm-hmm. Letters from a Black Snake, mm-hmm. and uh, and then a great pleasure has been meeting Margaret Brandman, and uh, that came about through Facebook. Mm. I've been connected to Peter Avery, who was a very fine, still singing Peter, uh, but Peter was an outstanding singer when I was young in the seventies, and he won this ABC talent program called Quest for Classical Singers and Things. Mm, mm. It was a wonderful program. And he's married to Suzanne, his wife, Suzanne Towers, as she was. 
and um, that's um, yeah Matthew uh, Matthew Matthews, Matthews parents. Yep. Matthews is an impressive young singer, mm. big tall bloke. Mm. His dad was tall and his mum's tall. <laughs> and uh, so I've been in touch with them and then suddenly I saw Margaret Brandman and I thought, oh, I wonder if she's the daughter of Joan Brandman, Johanna Brandman, uh, who was the pianist and the noted accompanist in Sydney and uh, the accompanist of Anthony Wallington, with the Wallington family, a very close friend still. And he, she was the pu- the pianist of the studio of Evelyn Hall and Franco Ithar. All right. And so, and I just sent her a message. He said, well, no, I'm not a daughter, I'm her niece, but I had a lot to do. Wow. And, okay. and Margaret's an outstanding composer. And we premiered her Zodiac Cycle back in 2016 at the Sydney Conservatorium. Mm. Margaret's been here with us as well. Okay. Uh, she's just won an ARIA award best-selling album, wow. Bina yeah, She's written some wonderful things, a great composer. Mm. So I love singing Margaret's uh, music. Mm. Mm. So yeah. plenty of Australian stuff. Yeah, well I've tried to, to uh, yes. And, and you also, did that album with uh, Rosemary. With Rosemary, yeah. yes. And in 2014, I've also done the wonderful music of Horace Keats mm. and his son, who sadly passed away, Bren and Anne, his wife, his widow now. Uh, we I did the, did his father's music in 2014. Rosemary unfortunately wasn't able to play. That was the, my last big reader leader recital here. Really, mm. yeah. After Rosemary died, I just um, never had that, you know, that rapport. That, mm. that it was a friend, a musical partnership, and a and a close friendship, you know. Mm. Mm. And yeah, so I've loved to sing Australian music. Mm. So Horace Keats, Margaret Brandman, George Palmer, Philip Wiltshire, mm. Mm. and uh, yeah, and I mean to wrap this up, um, you spoke about what a singer might need and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Would you recommend this career, <laughs> or is that a de- does that depend on your? Well, we all have. Uh, life, uh, you can't, there's certain things you can't say. I mean, I can say, I just hate that opera production. You can say, <laughs> I think that's a wonderful opera production. Um, everybody has their own path in life and you have to pursue what you think is your direction. You have mm. to go take that course. Um, all I can say is it's a very, very tough business to survive in. Mm. And that's what I was said, know thyself mm. and what you need in life for your personal fulfillment and happiness. Mm. Um, sometimes those things only reveal themselves, you know, understanding your psychological disposition, your health disposition. Uh, you know, if, if you have shocking allergies and things, you have to really think about it. You know, I never had allergies till I came here. Mm. But you can do it. There, there are lots that you can do. And if you ever, if you're ever having vocal problems, like singing well today and croaking like a frog tomorrow, mm. that's when you need to see an e- ENT, an mm. ears and throat specialist, and just make sure everything's all right there. Mm. And there's so much you can do for hay fever, what they call the hypersensibilisierung, this hypersensitization, this immunisation, mm. where they try and hit your main allergies and. So you, you've 
developing an immunity mm. to cope with that. I think that's very important. Um, the main thing is uh, with this business is to be well prepared mm. and well organised and never to a when you're in an opera house that so many productions are horrible these days some young people might like them i don't know but but just they have nothing to do with the piece like the aida we just seen at the Staatsoper, um you know taking place in a tire fabric in a tire factory in in cairo i mean you'd think well because uh, these people don't really understand the music you know but the thing is what we as singers be prepared learn your work, cooperate, uh, work on languages and develop your repertoire. And the wonderful thing is here, there's so much you can do uh, with leader and art song and uh, melody, aria antique, and then uh, all this uh, classical Vienna, as we saw the Vienna classical period, the Vienna classic, all these masses of Haydn and Mozart, then the early romantic work of Schubert, and uh, Beethoven, there's some beautiful masses, the Mass in C, the big Mrs. Solemnus. There's so much you can prepare and learn. You know, if I if I were teaching in Sydney, I'd be preparing a serious student mm. with talent for a career in Europe that mm. he's equipped absolutely with essential repertoire. Mm. You know, so, you so he can just get a job straight away. Damonte, Mozart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you could learn this and learn that and then suddenly they want you to do some other opera. But I I would certainly equip myself with, uh, as a lyric baritone, I'd have Papageno totally down, memorised and learned. Mm. That's what you should be doing at an opera school Mm -hmm. uh, and performing these works. Yep. Um, I'd be equipping them with all essential sacred music repertoire, especially if they're coming to Germany and Austria. Mm. Switzerland, um, and all that sort of thing. Essential uh, Bach repertoire. Mm. That, I mean, you've got your running shoes on, but it means you're equipped, so you're going to jump in here and it's just not all new. That's right. right. Yep. You know, when I came to Germany, I had the Messiah, uh, a couple of English, Oliver to Calvary, and uh, Stainer's Passion. What, what's that one called? The Crucifixion. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's, there's so much you can do here. Mm, mm. I mean, I've got a, a repertoire of just in that field of 85 works. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And so we'll wrap up by playing a final recording, mm. which is the Bach. The, uh, uh, Mache dich mein Herzerein, yeah. mm, mm. from the St. Matthew Passion. Mm. This is a live recording from 2010. Mm, mm. Anything mm. more about that? Yeah, it was a real highlight. Mm. And, uh, Great. Love doing it, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much, Martin. Yeah, Paul. Jeremy, lovely to talk to you and uh, greetings to everybody listening. <laughs> Cheers.
Thank you so much for listening to So You Think You Can Belto. We thank the artists who have donated their time to make this information available to our audience. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on social media. Our handles and links are in the episode description. If you have a topic you'd like covered, a question you'd like answered, or you'd like to recommend a guest, please get in touch with us at soyouthinkyoucanbelto at gmail.com. You can also support us with a little donation which will go towards thanking our interviewed artists. Ciao a tutti! Ciao!